Box Seat Suck Podcast is brought to you by BaldVinny.com. BaldVinny.com for all original Yankee fan apparel. BaldVinny.com for all your latest in right field bleacher creature apparel. BaldVinny.com. 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 Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Tom. It's uh, Wednesday, April 8th, and uh, we have a very special sort of surprise sneak in middle of the week episode for everybody this week, don't we, Tom? That's correct. Don't get used to it. <laughs> don't get used to it. So we definitely want to shout out James from the Facebook group. And what I'm about to say basically goes out for all of you. This is how easy it is to to book an interview on this podcast, whether it's you yourself, someone you know, or in this case, the voice of Yankee Stadium. Somehow yesterday uh, on the Facebook group, um, James had mentioned that he is a good friend of Paul Olden's. Uh, so I had replied, does he want to do the podcast? James, within seconds, said, yes, he's down. He put us in touch with Paul. Uh, we exchanged numbers. Paul said he was ready to go uh, less than 24 hours later. And here we are, Tom. And that's basically what this episode is. Yeah, it's uh, James BKNY. You see him on the uh, on the board. Um, very gracious of him to to pull Paul Oldenlin like he did. Um and, you know, it's funny. This is such a different kind of thing that we did. First of all, it shows that we can be professional. Okay? <laughs> we can do an episode without cursing. I didn't even open a beer. Um, you know, we literally just, ha- you know, called and was very gracious with his time. We wanted to treat that with the respect it deserves. We had a good conversation talking about his career, talking about baseball, talking about the season, hopefully to come. Um, it's a totally different kind of episode, and I think it shows that when we set our minds to it, we could be professional. But, yeah, it ain't going to change the next one. We'll be back on the deck, hopefully, drinking beer, smoking cigars, cursing, which there's none of that in this episode either. <laughs> no, he, great he, he was great. He was professional. And I definitely at times caught myself just saying, you know, wow, this is – this is the voice. Uh, this is the voice of Yankee Stadium, basically answering our questions. So it was really cool. Um, and what do you say, Tom? Should we just get right into it? Well, in a second, because one thing I did want to add to it, and I didn't mention it on the podcast because I didn't want to, you know, butter the bread, so to speak. But I had heard that he was a very nice guy. I I, I know James B. Canwy is a friend of his, but I've heard other people in the bleachers. I, you know, I think actually he he appeared at fantasy baseball camp and announced Balls his name, I believe. Um, but I think a few people had met him before and he was always very gracious. So that kind of took a little bit of the nervousness off because people, I've interviewed astronauts, I've interviewed politicians. I was a journalism major. I get nervous when I do this and I was nervous today because it's a little bit out of the box and you know, Hey, um, we didn't know how it would go, but it went great. And we had a great time talking baseball with this guy. He made it easy. It was great. And again, he was a gentleman and he was a straight shooter and he was very detailed in his answers. And and you'll all hear that now. So uh, unless you have anything else to say, Tom, why don't we get right to it? This is uh, the voice of Yankee Stadium, Paul Olden on the Box Seat Suck podcast. Enjoy. Tom, uh, we have a very, very special guest who's actually joining us today um, on the Box Seat Suck podcast. 
if you're listening, we assume you're a Yankee fan, so you're obviously going to know him as soon as you hear the voice. Uh, it's Yankee Stadium PA announcer Paul Olden. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. And before we get started, you know, how are things? How how are you spending this this quarantine time now that we sort of uh, all are finding ourselves in? Well, like a lot of people, hanging out at home, uh, doing uh, errands around the house and uh, sticking close to a home base until further notice. Uh, fortunately, I have a, a ability in my uh, house to hit golf balls and uh, not, not uh, I don't hit the um, real golf balls that far. I, <laughs> I, 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 I chip the real golf balls, but I, I can take full swings, uh, full swings on uh, with rubber balls. Uh, and I live in a pretty uh, kind of wide open uh, complex, so I'm able to ride my bike around the grounds and uh, do other things and just uh, watch TV like everybody else. Well, I have one thing that I know you're doing because uh, we saw a picture of you on Facebook with a Yankee mask running or getting ready for a run. And I believe I saw a note that you have ran about, what, 1,225 days in a row you got to run in? Yeah, I, 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 my running streak is over, uh, let's see, as of last night, it was uh, 1,230 30 days of uh, running. I don't think I, I don't think I've woke up 1230 days. <laughs> Paul, are yeah. you, are you a long distance uh, when it comes to running? Are you a long distance guy? Are you a, a track guy? What's your, what, what's your deal with running? Well, I, I just do a, between one mile and two miles a, a day. Now I, I used to run farther uh, four or five miles, <clears throat> four or five miles a day, but uh, that got to be a little bit too much for me. So I, uh, I had to take off. Yeah, no, I had to take off my um the little bracelet that counts my steps. I'm not happy about it just because I was so disappointed looking at it, especially now in the quarantine. It's not an excuse. You can still get out, and you're doing it. Um, but maybe that'll be a, a motivation for the rest of us to get involved and start to run a little bit or walk. Well, especially now that we're all kind of uh, sequestered, uh, you got to keep uh, some sort of exercise plan going because uh, uh, actually sitting – uh, supposedly they're saying that sitting is, is the new smoking uh, and that it's just not good for you to sit for an extended period of time. So uh, you got to get up and get active and do something. And so, uh, you know, I'll take 20 minutes each night and run. It doesn't take that long. Uh, and But it's, uh, I think, beneficial to my well-being overall. Look at that as a challenge, and uh, I'll do 20 minutes, but I'm going to walk. I'm not going to run. Well, that's good. That's good. Just, and, just some sort of act, activity is fine. Anything to stay active. So, again, Paul, we, we really appreciate you joining us. We thank you. We also want to thank James, who was who actually a part of our Facebook group, who, who uh, sort of connected us with you. Is, that, is, is, is he a, a buddy of yours, an acquaintance? How do you know James? Yes, yes. Uh, well, he works uh, at the real estate agency that helped me get one of my apartments in Brooklyn a few years ago, uh, and we became uh, buddies since. That's good. That- and thus the name is James BKNY. That's uh, our buddy on the box seat suck up page, and you'll see him around the stadium, and that's how we got this connection with Paul. And yes, yes. And, thank uh, you again. He's gracious enough to uh, give me uh, rides uh, home to my Brooklyn apartment, or at least the apartment I had uh, in Brooklyn the last couple of years. I I had signed up to have it again this year, but uh, that money's been refunded uh, as it doesn't look like we're going to have baseball 
in uh, the greater New York area anytime soon. Unfortunately, yeah, that's that's sort of the way it's looking now. Um, but you you are a, a California guy, correct, Paul? You're a born California. Are you currently living in California? What's what's your status with that? No, no I was born in Chicago. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Chicago. And, and raised in, in California, but I, I live in Florida. Oh, so you live in Florida. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So still yeah. an East Coast guy. That's good. But yeah, yeah. we were, I mean, we were actually going to get to, you know, the, the, the season and what we think. So why don't, why don't we start the interview, Tom? Why don't you go ahead and get us started? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when you came in on the, as a PA announcer, I, I remembered you from the broadcast booth. And it was funny when I was revisiting that over the, you know, the last few hours uh, since we set this up, all I was seeing was radio, radio. I'm like, no, 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 no. I saw him on TV. And yes, you had a stint in the TV booth back in the '90s. Yeah, Phil Rizzuto and Bobby Mercer. Um, so that's that was what rang the bell when you came back. And to a lot of Yankee fans, like I remember him from the booth. How was that? And and did that lead to the transition where you were just in in touch with the team where they thought of you for this PA job? Um, give us some memories of uh, working in that booth. Well, I was um, when I first came to New York back in the early '90s. I was hired. Uh, by WFAN to do the Jets games on radio. Uh, and a couple of weeks before the beginning of the season, um, Tom Seaver, who had been in the Yankees booth with uh, Bill Rizzuto and Bobby Mercer, uh, suddenly departed. And, of course, they, <clears throat> they needed a uh, replacement uh, as soon as possible. And I was a known baseball guy by then, and so... They reached out, and I joined the uh, Channel 11 uh, to do uh, baseball. Uh, and then uh, that's how my relationship with the Yankees began, uh, thanks to Tom Seaver's departure. I did read that you much preferred when you were doing radio as opposed to television because it gave you more time to tell the stories and things like that. Although radio today, you'd be sticking in like promotional ads every couple of seconds, so that would break that, but... Was that a case that you had you done baseball TV before you went to the Yankee booth? Oh yeah, I was on ESPN. I, I was on ESPN. Okay. Uh, and ninety, uh, let's see, ninety, ninety-one, ninety-two. Uh, I was doing games on uh, a couple of games a week on ESPN. And that was my college years, which is why I wouldn't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, Tom and I uh, told you earlier before we started recording that, you know, between the two of us, we were uh, from from the early 90s right to the last year of the old stadium. We were probably, you know, anywhere from 40 to 50 to 60 games a year. Um, so as the old stadium sort of dwindled down and, and, and we began to hear a little less and less of, of uh, Bob Shepard, we knew that his time was sort of coming to a close. Why don't you tell us how you were approached and sort of, you know, how it came to be that you would end up being uh, the new voice of Yankee Stadium? Well, in 1989, I was out in L.A. I had uh, gone back to Los Angeles after my uh, seven years of a play-by-play here with the Tampa Bay Rays came to an end uh, after the 2004 season. So I went back to L.A., uh, after I sold my house here at a pretty good profit, so I didn't have to really work full time. Uh, and I just worked a part time at a radio station there in LA doing sports updates. And I actually went back to college and studied photojournalism uh, at uh, Los Angeles Valley College and wrote for the newspaper, took the pictures for the newspaper, helped with the layout of the 
of the paper each week, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and this out of the blue, I got a call uh, from uh, the Yankees uh, in early 2009. Uh, they actually tracked me down at the radio station I was working for. Uh, they didn't know they didn't have a personal number of mine, uh, but they knew I worked in radio uh, at the state. They knew the station I worked for. Uh, and so they called the uh, radio station and somebody from the station called me and said, hey, uh, we just got a call from the Yankees are trying to track you down. Uh, and that led to uh, wow. connecting, connecting again with the Yankees and getting uh, an audition uh, to do the PA. They sent me a script. <laughs> And rehearsed it, and then they flew me back to New York to uh, uh, to do the actual rehearsal in the still under construction stadium. Now, when you were approached, and they actually told you that the Yankees were coming after you, I mean, wh- what did that feel like to actually hear that? Well, they didn't really make it sound like they were specifically coming <laughs> after me. <laughs> they kind of kept it general uh, in the sense that, uh, well, how would you like to audition? We're looking for a new PA guy. Are you interested? They're- they're making you work for yeah, it, obviously. Like yeah. Talking to 150 people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think I think in retrospect they they had targeted me, but they didn't want me to know that. Well, it's also good they they sought you out. So I would have went in feeling a little bit more confident. And look at how that ended up. Your first full year doing that World Series ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a nice. Uh, I was able to get a ring, uh, winning the 2009 uh, World Championship. Uh, of course, we all thought that there would be a lot more rings between 2009 and now, uh, so it makes you appreciate it even more. Absolutely. Well, that's why we were lucky. Like we, were talking, we go a lot to the old school, so when I started going out there regularly, it was like towards the mid, mid-90s. So I went through that whole run, and then I got out of there as I was getting a little bit earlier, and the new crowd moved in, so I was kind of spoiled. So yeah. I, I kind of feel bad. Um, but you're right. You you almost would see it coming. We might be back here next year. We might be back here next year. More rings, more rings. And, but still a good gig to have there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tre- tremendous. The Yankees have been very good to me, and uh, it's the best job I've ever had. Well, Paul, you're – oh, go ahead, Tom. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, one of the things I had seen was, like, um, Bob Shepard, you know, over time you were in contact with him – he had come back to you saying he was hearing good reviews for you and kind of passing a torch to you. And I guess that meant a lot to you, but how much did that go into it for you? Like, you know, how important was it to you to have him kind of pass a torch after being there since Mickey Mantle was debuting? I was great. I mean, you know, I gotten to know Bob, uh, obviously from the, my first stint with the Yankees. Uh, and even when I was a visiting broadcaster with Tampa Bay, uh, I always sought him out and, the old organist, Eddie Layton. Uh, they were good guys. And I always visited with them whenever I came into Yankee Stadium. So I had a really good relationship with them. Uh, and so it, it didn't, I, I think it helped ease the transition. I, I Since I had a, 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 a good uh, a connection with Bob Shepard for many years, it wasn't as if I was coming in not knowing who he was and kind of feeling that I had these... Uh, it's a mountain to climb in terms of reestablishing myself with the team. Uh, I was already kind of a de facto Yankee from my, my, my 90s days anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Paul, you had mentioned earlier how cool it was to get that uh, World Series experience in your first year. I mean, not many people are watching this team a- a- as much as you are, certainly. What do you have to say about what how they address the team in the offseason? I mean, in my opinion, this has been a championship-caliber team for about two or three years now, but they were missing that one big piece. Do you feel like they've addressed that? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh... But it's it's even even when they, you know, a team lays out a plan and is able to execute on that plan, as it appears the Yankees have done, uh, and now we have this uh, world of uncertainty uh, thrown into the mix. Uh, but on paper, you know, the old the, the way the team looks on paper, it looks as though it's ready, primed to to win another World Championship, not just get to the World Series, but win it. Yeah. And, you know, to Tom's point earlier, I feel like, you know, you can sort of equate the way we felt as fans being spoiled in the 90s to almost the players. Whereas, you know, in in 09, 2010, 2011, 2012, you had guys that sort of were satisfied with the resume of their careers. Now you have younger, hungrier players and we as fans can see it and sense it. And I, and, and I think that sort of translates and it makes, makes it a little bit more special and makes us a little bit more hungry to go out and get one. Do, do, you feel like, do you feel like that's what you see? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, uh, but, you know, just, just waiting for it to kind of get going is, is the, uh, uh, you know, we're all anxious for the season to start in some form. Uh, but it's it's kind of hard to, to actually see when that's going to happen. Yeah, and it's the uncertainty that's the worst, because even when there were strikes and things like that, you were kind of like, at some point, they're going to fix this. It's going to happen, and it should happen very soon. But we have, we're on a timetable that we don't know, and baseball is very important to a lot of people. There's a lot of people that ride it day to day. That's why baseball is a daily thing. Oh, we lost. That sucks. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. And we talk about the off season starting the day after the season ends, and now we're in a holding pattern. Yeah. Where do you yeah. see it going? What do you see? Do, do you see any merit to the idea of empty stadiums? Do Do you see that even really being a realistic possibility? I see a lot of pushback from players. I, I can see the empty stadiums because in, in other sports it's been done, and it was done as most recently in baseball and uh, a few years ago in Baltimore uh, when they had. Uh, civil unrest there uh, uh, so but I think the the grander challenge is uh, the fact that we don't have a vaccine for COVID-19 yet uh, and you know getting as many people together I mean the Arizona plan is the latest kind of talk uh, uh, getting that many people together for 30 teams in one area uh, with all the support personnel that will take vision people and and uh, front office people, uh, that seems so unwieldy uh, that I, I'm not yeah. quite sure how that's going to work uh, over a, a a three a three to four month period. And, and players are already saying, you know, I don't know if I want to be away from my family that long. Yeah, you yeah, know, we're, we're, you play a game, you go into a hotel room and you sit there till you go back and play again. Yeah, like, that's uh, that's that's the hard to believe. I mean, uh, you know, I I did baseball back in the '80s when I was in my 20s, running around, and then the last thing we wanted to be after a game is sitting in the hotel room. We wanted to be out and about 
know, running around town and doing stuff and, and, and getting out and, you know, meeting the local, uh, uh, meeting the locals and, and checking out places. You know, we were in Hawaii and, uh, we had a team in Hawaii at the time, the Pacific Coast League AAA team. And, you know, we, even though we didn't have a lot of money, we still didn't want to sit around the hotel room. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if the hotel rooms are nice, which are, which are they, you know, I, we presume they would be, you just it's hard to go from stadium to hotel, stay there, and then go back to the stadium the next day. Over a, you know, you might be able to do that for a couple of days, uh, but for a three or four month period, that's that seems a big challenge. And uh, my question to you was going to be, Paul, if they even and again, we're fans, you know, we want to see the game. But to to a certain extent, we want it to be as close to normal as possible. If and when they would ever get to a point where they could at least play in the Bronx, even if it wasn't an empty stadium. Have you visualized, you know, you announcing teams and hearing your voice echo over forty five thousand empty seats? Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've done games where there haven't been people in the stands, uh, <laughs> uh, and remember we we've had some games where yeah. where they either we had a lot of rain or something, and they, they, we had a three hour rain delay, and most people went home, uh, or we started. Yeah, it was two twenty five in the morning. Two twenty five yeah. in the morning. Yeah, I was at I was at that one. We started a suspended game uh, from the previous day you know, two hours before the regularly scheduled game uh, and there weren't that many people in the stands. I'm just hoping that if, if they do uh, decide to have games without uh, fans in the stands, that they will still feel the need to have a PA announcer. <laughs> well, ha- have they have yeah. they approached you about, oh, no, you know, no, no nothing, no, huh? Okay. No, no, I, and the I don't same thing with Arizona. If the same thing in Arizona. Either for the teams are housed, are they going to have one guy that's based in Arizona. That's just going to announce every game that's played in a respective stadium. You know. Well, they're going to have to have uh, several people because you know, the games will be spread out over you know ten ten different venues. And you know, yeah. either the main baseball stadium there where the Diamondbacks play, but they'll also have games at maybe Arizona State University and the spring training sites. So all those places have to be. Uh, staffed. Yeah, the more we talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more unwieldy it does sound. But yeah. we just want our baseball back, and all of us. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, you have to kind of start throwing these kind of crazy ideas up against the wall, uh, yeah. and maybe you get enough ideas, and you could take something from the Arizona idea. Maybe the whole thing doesn't work in the big picture, but there's a segment of it that might work with a different segment uh, from a, a, another idea that somebody came up with. I mean, it, it's, it's basic marketing type of uh, uh, 101 stuff, uh, spitballing, just uh, no idea is bad, but come up with something, even if it's off the wall, uh, we might be able to use a, a portion of it uh, to make it work with something else. While we're on the, um, the subject of the PA announcing part of what you've done in your career, um, Bob Shepard had a favorite player, um, a role player that he would announce do you remember who that was? I do. Do you remember? Uh, no. Shigatoshi Hasegawa. Oh, yes, yes, who, yes. Who is yours? And, like, who is, A, your favorite player to announce just by the inflection, the name, or also just because I love this player, it's really cool that I got to call this player to the to the plate? 
Well, yeah, we got uh, when Aaron Judge started uh, uh, doing great things a couple of years ago. I, I like the saying the number ninety nine uh, Aaron Judge. <laughs> that that kind of caught on. You know, we 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 don't we don't really uh, have a uh, a wide berth to to be individualistic and kind of call attention to myself uh, when I announce names. Uh, that's not the it, it, we, we uh, I kind of followed the shepherd way uh, and it's, you know, very professional, low key, but, uh, uh, you know, clear, concise and correct type thing. Uh, but uh, I always got a kick out of uh, uh, announcing Aaron Judd because that always got the crowd really welled up. Paul, you've you seen. Claire. Well, just one more on that. The first player that you announced when you sat down at that, you know, to do that. Uh, the first player. Wow. Uh, to tell you the truth, no. It was the first uh, we played. No, I, we played Cleveland, right? The first game uh, in 2009. Well, Cleveland was opening the opening day, but they also had the exhibition against the Cubs a few days oh, yeah. before. And I yeah. believe you were the PA for that because I think that was the first time I, I, I want to say it was the first time at least I heard you. Yeah. Um, I could be mistaken. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. That, yeah. that was a very nerve wracking time for me because we had uh, uh, we had the uh, executives from uh, uh, Mitsubishi and uh, to take a look at the scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> and I had to announce their names. And I was very, very nervous <laughs> announcing their names. I can remember uh, I, I don't normally break out into a, a, a drip sweat under my arms. But uh, I do remember <laughs> sweating profusely when I was uh, doing those names. Uh, I, and, and, and Lou Pinello was in the ballpark, too. You know, he was managing the Cubs at the time. That's right. Uh, That's right. I, Sweet Lou. I got to know Lou really well when he was managing the Rays. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was managing the Rays when I was doing the games uh, for them. Uh, at least my, my last year, he was the manager. So we had so much fun uh, with Lou, uh, and uh, it was always great to see him. Uh, you know, he had to take a little time off after he left Tampa Bay, and then he uh, went to the Cubs. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we had the uh, the two uh, the two games there that kind of break in the stadium against the Cubs. So Paul, uh, in the in the eleven seasons now, if I had asked you to pick one game, you know, one game. It's that that will uh, you will hold close to your heart. Which game would that be? Well, it, it always has to be the the winning uh, World Series, uh, the, the final out of the of the World Series, uh, because that's what we're all there for. Correct uh, for the championship and the, and the final the final out, and and the, then the the celebration that you know went on into the night. And you know, we we had as a staff we had a party downstairs. Uh, in the um, one of the suites uh, after the game, after all the uh, work was done post game, you know, with interviews and announcements and things like that. Um, I guess second would be the, uh, the you know Jeter's hitting uh, a home run for his three thousand hit. Uh, that was uh, uh, special in the standpoint that when Wade Boggs was with with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. He got his 3,000 hit uh, with the Rays, and I was doing the games uh, for the Rays on TV. Uh, you, know, you can go on YouTube and find the game. 
uh, of me announcing mods is 3,000 pins. Uh, and then, uh, then I go to work for the Yankees, and then uh, the next two guys who get three thousand are Jeter and 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 Aaron, Aaron, yeah, and they they all hit home runs. So there's there's only four people who have seen all three of those home runs or three thousand hit me, um, John Flaherty, um, uh, Mark Topkin, the writer for Tampa Bay. And Larry Rothschild, who's now the pitching coach of the Padres, and we're the only we're the only four who have seen uh, those three guys hit uh, the uh, uh, home runs for three thousand hits. That's a good little nugget. We should use that as a trivia question at some point, Tom. That's a good. You know, one. It's, you know, it's so funny because we're so lucky. Like just being around the Yankees and being around that ballpark. You know, I've seen Wells's perfect game. I saw Gooden's no hitter. How many friends do we have that have never seen a no hitter? You got people that have been going to games for 50 years. You got people that watch games for 50 years. But being around the Yankees and the Yankee Stadium and all that magic, um, we just stumble into that and we see it and it, it, it never gets old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the, uh, the attraction of going to the game. You never know what you're going to see. Well, speaking yeah, of that, no one matter. of the things. Go ahead, Paul. No, I was going to say, no matter how many games you've seen, there's always something that you can still walk away from the ballpark that night and say, you know, I've never seen anything like that before. And what a great segue because it leads into my next thing. Um, back in 1993, Yankees are playing the Red Sox, September of 93. Mike Stanley hits up uh, what is, appears to be the last out of the game. However, at that very moment, a 14-year-old fan jumps on the field. Everybody thinks the game's over. It's not over. Yankees end up coming back to win, but one of the funniest parts was Bob Shepard getting to announce to the stadium, the game is not over. And you know, everyone's looking around, and they kicked it off, and the Yankees ended up winning. Do you have any like memory of anything that was kind of a wacky thing you had to announce during a PA thing or, or something that you were told maybe, unfortunately, to tell people to stop throwing things? Was there anything? like? Did you ever have a the game is not over moment? Uh, the only one I could think of off the top of my head was uh, a few years ago. Uh, uh, I forgot who hit the home run for the opposing team, uh, but the ball was hit into the, uh, the left field bleachers, uh, and whoever caught the ball decided to throw it back. Uh, <laughs> but he threw it back, and he hit the Brett Gardner in the back of the head. Yes, I remember that, yes. And so from uh, that point on, I, I do recall once when uh, somebody hit a home run, uh, and it, you'll notice that when Gardner's, even to this day now, when somebody hits a home run behind him, he always turns and watches to see uh, if and when the ball is going to be thrown back because he's afraid to get hit again. And I think I did announce once that, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you throw the ball back onto the field, please do not hit any of the Yankee players. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> you're not going to stop that ball from flying back on the field, but you're right. Be discerning on where you're putting it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny to, to watch Brett. Even you know, last season, whenever somebody hit a home run behind him, he always turned and waited until somebody, whoever caught it, threw it back. Uh, because he didn't want to get caught by surprise again. You know, you speak of Brett Gardner now. You just made me think of it. I feel like he came back just for one last run. 
Um, and if, if, if some, if some way there's no season, that would be a shame. Do you think he'd come back for 2021 or do you think he'd call it quits? Oh no, I know. There's no reason not to come back. I mean, you're fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe too off. fresh. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of hard to turn down. What was he going to make? 13 million this year or 10 million, something like that. Not kinda bad. hard to Kind of hard to that's walk true. away from money like that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Paul, you know, we've had you now almost half an hour and we really appreciate your time. We have a few more sort of like rapid fire questions for you, like very, you know, quick this or that type. And you just let us know which one you prefer. Does that sound good? All right, go ahead. Okay, I'll start. So you mentioned earlier that you're a runner. Treadmill or park? Uh, uh, Neither. I run in the I run on the street. Okay, very good. Yeah, but if I if, but if, if if the weather is bad, I mean I, I don't have any any uh, 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 negative feelings about running on treadmill. I mean, it's still running. One of the running things we have on this uh, podcast is the lack of Rocky movies that I've seen. I've seen only two. I will tell you my favorite after. But what is your favorite Rocky movie? Uh, it has to be the first one because it. it Caught everybody by surprise, and the backstory behind it is very interesting. With you know Stallone, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone having uh, issues about getting you know jobs in Hollywood, and decided to create his own uh, characters, and and was steadfastly uh, saying that it well, if you don't use me as Rocky, you know I'm not going to sell you the movie. So yeah, the first Rocky, because of the whole. Uh, surprise element to how big it became, and of course, it became a huge franchise. Uh, that still kind of has that one? still has spinoffs now with Apollo Creed, the Apollo Creed movies. Uh, I haven't seen those so. either. I've seen Rocky One and Rocky Five, and Rocky Five is my favorite. So people destroy me for that. But uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> favorite favorite stadium fans: Judges Chambers or Bleacher Creatures. Uh, well, the Bleacher Creatures has the uh, the, uh, the the win by uh, a long a long way. Because, <laughs> there you go. Because there of because go. of the tradition that, that, that uh, so many well, you know, players are aware of. You saw it from the broadcast, but it was even a little bit more rowdier. But like when you look out there, I mean, do you notice things like, oh my gosh, it's Hawaiian shirt night out there because all these guys are in the Hawaiian shirts? And obviously, you hear the roll call and you hear the songs and you see people pointing. It's kind of like, what does it look like from there? You kind of like, oh my gosh, look at them again. Well, that's the, but that's there wouldn't be Yankee Stadium without them, though. That's that's the thing. There you uh, go. That's uh, such a tradition that that you know you see celebrities like to get out there. Yeah, you, know, you had the Supreme Court justice out there, right? Judge Sotomayor. That's true. Uh, was uh, took, wanted to take part uh, in the in the tradition. It's a, it's a, it's just a part of the stadium. That if it didn't happen, it would be very unusual. The um, what what is your preference in regard to day games or night games? In regards to the whole thing, your routine, like, uh, do you look forward to having your day go out night game, doing the night game, or do you like the day game go out after the? What's your what's your preference, day game or night game? Uh, I like night. Ga- uh, I'm sorry, day game, day games, uh, uh, because you know, you, especially uh, as a runner. Uh, I can uh, 
get my run in at a leisurely time. It had been there were a couple of times last year where we had night games that ran long, and I literally had to uh, get my run in before midnight. And I and I ran, I, I ran across the street at the at the track in my uh, street shoes and my regular clothes because I had to get my run in uh, before midnight to keep my streak officially going. Uh, so. Uh, after that, I started running before I came to the ballpark, uh, just so I wouldn't have that anxiety of worrying about what if this game goes extra innings. You know, around 10:30, I start getting nervous because it takes me about 45 minutes on the subway to get back to Brooklyn. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, day games much easier on my on my psyche. I'm not sure if you're going to want to answer this one, Paul, but I'll ask anyway. Which of the two brothers, Hal or Hank? Which of the two brothers in what sense? What do you mean? <laughs> um, I guess, which which do you prefer, Hal or Hank? <laughs> you, want to, you want to plead the fifth there? Uh, well, I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly where that would go or what that means, so I'll pass on that. <laughs> okay. Well, which would you rather run two uh, miles I mean, with? How about that? Well I, well, I understand Hal is a runner. Uh, <laughs> there you go. We, we had uh, a 5K at Steinbrenner Field uh, last month, early last month, uh, and they told me, well, Hal is in the in the field here someplace, but I, I never saw him, but he's a runner. Uh, so uh, eventually, uh, one of these days, we'll probably run a 5K together, maybe next year when we have the, the Steinbrenner Field uh, second annual uh, spring sprint to spring 5k one thing um i wanted to ask before we before we knock off um who is uh your favorite ball player of all time who like or some of the players that got you you know into your love for baseball which obviously you pursued as a career well i grew up in los angeles a, a, a dodger fan so um, my all-time dodger favorite player was uh willie davis the center fielder uh, but I, I got to know uh, the Hall of Famer Don Sutton pretty well, uh, uh, and and have uh, maintained a good relationship with him down through the years. You know, he was a he was a broadcaster for the uh, Atlanta. Uh, I don't think he's doing broadcast anymore. Uh, but you know, growing up in Los Angeles in the '60s, uh, that's when I was growing up. Uh, you know, Koufax and Drysdale and uh, Sutton and Willie Davis and Maury Wills, uh, Ron Fairley, all those guys that uh, you know, many of them I got a chance to know later on. Many of them as broadcasters. You know, Ron Fairley was a broadcaster. Uh, Maury Wills managed the Seattle Mariners when I, uh, the team I was broadcasting for in Spokane, Washington, was affiliated with the Mariners. Uh, and I used to, my, my parents used to take. Uh, Close to the Maury Wills dry cleaner in Los wow. Angeles. Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! A, yeah. a dry cleaning uh, store in Los Angeles. Uh, but yeah, so so guys like that, uh, you know, guys you grow up uh, and and quite often you don't pay attention to their stats. You just like the way they carry themselves or they look cool. Uh, and you want as a ten year old, you know, you you don't have a lot of uh, criteria well, to you... have somebody as a favorite player. Well, two books. One book I just read Ron Fairley's book after he had sadly passed away. 
Um, I had remembered him a little bit from when I was a kid and I read his book and it was very entertaining, good book. And there was also a book about that year of the Dodgers with Willie Davis and Colfax and things like that that came out last year that I read that I enjoyed as well. Name escapes me, but it's good like to revisit the history, read about stuff like that. And now you're talking about an era that I didn't live through or watch, but I just read about. So I kind of can relate to that. And that's what's cool about baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Is the, is the book called The Last Innocence? Yes, that's the book. Yeah. Yeah. I have that book. That was that was quite a uh, quite a, a book uh, because it, it not only talked about the Dodger team, it talked about the societal connection. Yep. Uh, with it's absolutely highly recommended. The political world and, and the racial component and 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 how things were in Los Angeles and, and the nationally at the time. That was a very good book. Yep. That's great. Well, Paul, I mean, you, you've been on with us almost 45 minutes. We really appreciate your time. Um, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on, for, for answering all our questions. And, you know, uh, me personally, uh, I don't know, you know, where we're headed as a society, but I really, really hope to be hearing your voice in the Bronx uh, at some point this summer. So th- thank you very much for, for coming on today. Well, my pleasure. Let me say that uh, because first I wanted to say to you that this hopefully is not the last time. I know I jump on. I get, I get so much heat for, for, for jumping in on the guests. But you got to remember, our original guests were Cowbell Man Milton, Bold Vinny from the Roll Call, and G-Bang yeah. Steve the drunken bleacher creature. So you're number four. So I'm trying to behave, but uh, we're so happy you're on. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure being with you and uh, helping out. Great. And, and we'll uh, yeah, I, we'd love to do it again. You know, if we have a season and we have those long West coast trips and you get bored, Paul, you know, you know who to call if you want to talk some baseball. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Take care. All right. See ya. Thanks for the be, well, time. Be, be healthy. Stay healthy. Same to you and your family, Paul. All the best. Okay. And keep running. All right. We're testing the face audio. Take two. This is Face calling. I hope I'm doing this right. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, call me, and I'm trying to get back to you about the heckling. Uh, I know you and TB, they're gonna, you're going to be doing a, a podcast in Box Seat Suck. Uh, well, the moment I remember the most, when, uh, there's so many heckling incidents, but uh, was when we got on Ho-Ho the Clown Canseco, in 1991, um, he had picked a fight with one of the guys in the box seats. He was arguing with him, and we we hated this guy. We always abused him, but he got abused severely twice. Once when Oakland came in in May of 91, we crucified him nine innings of abuse. He got abused the whole series, the last two games. And then he came, I think it was July of 91, Oakland came in for him. That's it. Thank <laughs> you.